is nice. It's in this couch here. So during first service, I kind of want to like lay down and take a nap because <laughs> it's really warm because this thing actually makes heat. Of course it does. It's a real fireplace, right? Well, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Brian and I'm the worship director here. And by now, we are fully in the throes of the Advent season. It's week three of Advent, this season of waiting, of expectation, of anticipating the movement of God in this world. It's the beginning of the church calendar year. We're, we're starting a new year, a new period of re-narrating and retelling the Christian story. Advent is the beginning of retelling ourselves who we are as the people of God in this world in light of who Christ is in this world. We've been exploring some of the themes that have been traditionally associated with Advent. We've talked about hope, about how we anticipate God's work in the world. Hope is our longing for God to come into this place and to begin to imagine what it is to participate with God in bringing God's kingdom about. Last week we talked about peace, about how it's not just the absence of conflict, but the concept of shalom, wholeness, everything being made right. This week, we're exploring the topic of joy. And before we really get into this much, I'd love to hear what comes to your mind when you hear the word joy. Uh, just go ahead and say out loud, when you hear the word joy, what do you think of? And I can't hear very well up here from like people way in the back, so I talk loudly. What do you think of when you hear the word joy? Thanks be to God. <laughs> Thanks. Joy for me is a theme that's honestly something that, that's often very elusive. And I suspect that's the case for many of us. It, joy is something that can seem rather difficult to locate and grab hold of. It feels fleeting. Like it's there in an instant and then gone. And I think that's because when we think of joy, at least when I think of joy, I think of excitement, of happiness, uh, doing everything with a smile and being super happy about everything in life, which is why it makes it so hard to actually look at joy. And I still feel a ton of resistance to talking about joy because it seems so hard to grab a hold of, and it kind of feels dishonest. Because what is there to be joyful about when we're honest about this? Our world is full of violence. In our country, in our city, and abroad, our world is changing and becoming increasingly risky to even live here. We're bombarded by messages of fear by our media, and we repeat those messages to ourselves. Be afraid of those people, whoever they are, and what they might do. Be prepared for any and every scenario that could possibly happen to you because you never know what could happen to you. But everyone is out to get you. Danger is coming. Be afraid. Where do we find joy in this world? How is it even possible to talk about joy? It feels dismissive and avoidant to all that's happening around us. How do we find joy in the midst of darkness without dismissing the darkness? In the words of one theologian, how do we sing the Lord's song in an alien land? And how do we sing the Lord's song in the broad place of his presence? How do we truly have joy? 
So like I said, we're in the third week of the Advent season, and we've been working through these themes that have been traditionally embraced by the, much of the church. Our candles, these ones, not all this. Um, this is just for fun, and I really love it. Um, but our candles are lit according to these themes, and we do this because these themes are sort of a topical way of exploring and reminding ourselves what of, of what the Advent season and the coming Christmas season are about. Hope. Peace. Joy. Love. They're not standalone themes or ways of talking about, like, different aspects of, of the Advent narrative. They're all connected. They all inform each other. They all help tell this story. Peace, shalom, wholeness is what we hope for. Joy. I see joy as like the other end of the spectrum of hope. It's like the the other side of the coin. Um, The other half of the picture. So, there are lots of ways that scholars and theologians have thought about how, like, thought about trying to understand when God's kingdom breaks into the world, how God's kingdom breaks into the world, and so on. But, like, the the central nugget of the scriptural narrative is is God's kingdom bursting into this world. Uh, Some have thought of it as, as purely a future event. Like, it's our job to just wait it out, and someday God's going to come back and make everything right. Um, some have thought of it as a purely past event. Like, God came in the person of Jesus. It's all done. And we're just waiting for God to tidy things up. But probably the most broadly, I guess, embraced way of understanding uh, this way of thinking is what we call inaugurated eschatology. And it's a big fancy word that basically means already but not yet. Uh, like both of them at the same time. It's the idea that the kingdom of God broke into the world with Jesus, and yet we're waiting for that kingdom to be fully brought about. So why am I bringing this up? Who cares? Like, is it just like theological mental exercise? Um, I bring it up because hope and joy are, are intricately intertwined. They're like two sides of the same coin. Hope and joy are both themes of Advent for a reason. Advent is the expectation that God will act, culminating in the birth of Jesus. God as a human being, as one of us. We know that story, that that's what's going to happen, that God breaks into this world, but we also know that this world is not right. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are disasters. And there is darkness that's much closer to home, in broken families, in broken relationships in our own inner struggles. There is much to mourn and fear in our world. And so when I say hope and joy are two sides of the same coin, I mean it with this idea of the already and not yet in mind. We have joy because Jesus has already come. God has broken into this world. And we hope Because it doesn't take a lot to see that there's so much in need of being made right. Joy and hope go hand in hand. A theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann uh, said that hope is joy anticipated. Like anxiety is terror anticipated. And we live far more in anxiety and terror than hope and joy. At least I know I do. We react defensively when faced with something that we don't like about ourselves. We try to explain away huge social and cultural problems that our culture has. And we do all these things to protect ourselves from the big, bad, 
out there that's trying to hurt us. But the gospel story talks about the world that Jesus was born into in a similar way. Jesus was a Jewish man born to a people who were considered less than, secondary. They were a conquered people. And the powers in charge thought of them, like when they actually paid attention to them, they thought of them as some backwards, like hillbilly little group out in the desert that was hardly worth the attention of Rome. Uh, They were routinely abused, heavily taxed, generally stepped on and treated like garbage. Uh, Some some scholars think that like the Romans, the Roman governor, the Roman politicians who were sent there to govern the Jewish people were sent there as a punishment. Um, They were on the outside. They were on the margins. And Jesus' parents were unmarried and his mother's pregnant with him, which at the time was a big deal. Like basically she should have been, she, following Jewish law, she should have been killed for that. Um, They are marginalized of the marginalized. And they're away from home with no place to stay. And then the first people who come to see Jesus are foreigners and shepherds. And we've talked in the past about how shepherds were treated in the first century. Uh, Rich preached on Joy a couple years ago, and he talked a lot about like the shepherd's status. But basically, they're the lowest of the low, some of the furthest down the economic and social ladder, some of the least reputable people in the first century society. But it's to these people that God reveals Jesus. Not the government, not the powers in charge, not the ones who thought they had their religious and faith stuff in order, the outcasts, the unwanted, the ones who were told they weren't welcome. And in the Gospels, it's to these people that the angels appear and say, do not be afraid. For you see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Uh, When we talked about these themes a couple years ago when Rich talked about joy, he noted that the phrase, do not be afraid, shows up 360-some-odd times in the Bible. And in the the Bibles, plural, what? Uh, In the Bible, shows up about 360 times, and it's almost always when people encounter God. And I think it's likely has something to do with the fact that when you encounter God, it's probably pretty terrifying. Um, But I also think on another level, it shows up because it's something that we need to hear over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's almost like a comforting reminder in the midst of trouble. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because of good news of great joy. Jesus is born. God is here with us. So do not be afraid. Instead, have joy. It's easy, right? Except that joy is so, so hard to really find. It's really hard to define, like, what joy is in the biblical context. It's almost easier to look at what it isn't in order to really locate joy. It's not just this cheery, happy, excitable emotion. It's much deeper than that. Uh, N.T. Wright describes joy not as a warm, fluffy feelings or emotions, but rather as looking at the world in a different way. He says that joy is a matter of seeing and hearing and understanding Learning to live within a narrative that doesn't appear to people around you to be true, that Jesus is Lord. 
And he continues, The victory of love in the world is won by suffering and death. Joy is constituted by self-giving love and is realizing that we can live in the world and the Holy Spirit is enabling me to live in that world and it goes in fits and starts and I'll get it wrong and it doesn't mean I'm perfect from day one. But it's like learning a new language or a new musical instrument and realizing that it's actually possible to play this stuff. Joy is seeing the world in a way that locates us in the presence and activity of God. And joy is living into who we're created to be, citizens of the kingdom of God. Loving well, working for shalom together, not acting out of defensiveness or anxiety, but rather acting out of the recognition that Christ has been resurrected and is in the world. Joy gives. Joy loves. And most of all, joy looks at our world, and even in the midst of suffering and darkness and pain, joy looks around and says, God is in this place making all things right. Hallelujah. And because we can get so bogged down in the things that are wrong with our world and in the things that we fear, it is easy to be afraid. But joy is this way of seeing, of being awoken to what God is about. C.S. Lewis says, All joy reminds. It's never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. Joy is elusive. And it's elusive because it's a gift. Joy is what comes when we're awoken by the Spirit to God's presence in the person of Christ. And we need to be awakened day after day. It's an ongoing process because we are there already, but not yet. Paul, uh, like the guy who wrote like a good portion of the New Testament, uh, Paul talks about joy more in Philippians than anywhere else in his letters. And this is fascinating because he wrote Philippians while he's in prison. And I know that growing up, whenever I heard of Paul being in prison, he was always like presented as, as being cheerful and like willing to go and like, yeah, I'm doing this for the glory of God, and like wandering off into jail and like letting the like not even being forced into the prison, like just opening the door and walking in and then shutting it behind him. Um, and you can read his letters that way if you want to. But it's really interesting to read Paul as like a human being uh, with feelings and hopes and dreams and plans and uh, longing. I took a class on Philippians when I was in school, and my professor asked us one day, uh, what is the problem with Paul being in prison? And we sort of threw out our answers, like, maybe he's worried that his letters wouldn't get through. She's like, no, what's the problem with Paul being in prison? Like, well, maybe it messed up his plans to get someplace. Like, he was headed to go meet some, some Christians somewhere. No, guys, what's the problem with Paul being in prison? And maybe so on, and maybe so forth. And we keep throwing out these answers, and each time a professor's like, no, no, guys, what's the problem with Paul being in prison? And she finally gets to the point where she's like, all right, the problem with Paul being in prison, he's in jail. Like, jail sucks. This is a problem. <laughs> Things don't always go according to plan. We often get diverted or redirected or caught up in something that contrasts and conflicts with our hopes and dreams and plans and desires. And in those times, it's easy to get caught up in fear and the anxiety of what-ifs. It's painful when our dreams and hopes and plans are broken. It is painful when we struggle and suffer and hurt. But the thing with Paul being in prison is he's still telling his readers to be joyful when they suffer. 
But it's not like he's putting on the smiley face and pretending it'll be okay. And it's not blindly ignoring our hurts. Rather, it's looking directly into the suffering and pain and realizing that God has suffered and felt pain as well. Yeah, the physical pain of death. I mean, that's a pretty big one. Um, But also the pains of life, of, of losing a family member, of losing a parent, of having his own family treat him as if he's out of his mind, of being lonely, of just being worn out and tired, and of having to make huge life-altering decisions. In the person of Jesus, God has experienced and felt all these things. That's the remarkable thing about the Advent season. It's the anticipation of God being with us, suffering alongside us. We are not alone. There is nothing to fear. God is with us and knows what our heartaches we have felt. The scriptures know this, and because of this, they invite us to be awakened to the joy of Christ being in this world, experiencing what we experience, and in doing that, the kingdom of God breaks into this world, bringing life. Our joy is our resurrection happens. When we encounter death, life is born. I've said it several times in bearing repeating, this is not an avoidance of, well, this is not an avoidance of pain, but rather looking death straight in the face and saying, I still believe in resurrection. And that joy is a gift. It's something that's drawn out of us when we encounter the resurrected life of Christ. Moltmann says that joy is a particular way of responding. You can't make yourself joyful. It's something that comes from outside of ourselves. We are awakened to joy. We find joy, and I think joy when we find, or I think we find joy when we find ourselves stepping into who we're made to be, in our vocations, in our relationships, in our community, in service, in those things that move us and give us life. It's like joy is something that's always there, lurking underneath the surface, but somehow every day it seems like a gift. We find joy when we look around at our world and we see God moving in it, making things whole and bringing about shalom inviting us to participate in building God's kingdom here. One thing we've been emphasizing throughout Advent is not giving you more things to do. The season is busy enough, and so the last thing that we want to do is make you feel like you already aren't, like you have more to do. Um, And really, it kind of feels dishonest for me to sit up here, and even a bit dangerous to sit up here and say, you know what, just be more joyful. As we head into those last weeks of Christmas, just swallow all those bad feelings that you have and be joyful. That's not helpful. Instead, we've talked about joy as a new way of seeing our world, a reframing of how we go about our lives. Uh, Joy is recognizing that God is here making things new. Joy is realizing that we're welcome, no matter how much we may hurt. Joy is realizing that when we deal with all the pain and the heartache and frustration and anxiety and family issues and longing for so much more over the holidays that God is with us in those things. God is with us. Joy is a way of seeing that recognizes where the kingdom of God is broken into this world and joy longs for so much more. It is a gift of the Spirit of God that awakens us to this kingdom. Uh, In your bulletins, you have connection cards. If you could take them out, 
uh, and the worship team can come back up. I have a few questions for us to ponder as we kind of wrap up here. The first question is, what was something that made sense to you? What confused you? Where does the conversation need to go from here for you? Second, when was the last time that you really felt joy about something? Not just a sense of happiness, but the feeling that everything was like as it should be. And the third question is, what do you long to be joyful about? Where do you lack joy? Um, If you could take a second and write down some of your thoughts, uh, I'll pray, and the worship team will lead us in one more song.